0: Many people struggle to understand the the difference between happiness and joy. It is a common struggle. We hear that happiness is related to our circumstances, then that joy is a confidence built on a relationship with God. Those are somewhat helpful. But what we learn as we grow in our faith, as we continue to walk with Christ, that nearness to God, determines our joy in a much more significant way than our circumstances might. So I want you to hear that. The more you walk with Christ, the closer you are to God, the more that relationship affects your joy than your circumstances do. Amazingly, despite Paul's circumstances, he was joyful. And you remember his circumstances, right? He was in jail, he was... Uh, uncertain of his future, whether he'd be executed or set free. He was experiencing all sorts of negative things associated with jail. And yet here he is in the book of Philippians being joyful at every turn. There must be something we can learn from this. Um, It seems that Paul's circumstances didn't affect his joy. And that, in fact, his joy was directly affected by his relationship with Christ. There's no, <clears throat> there's no other explanation. So, what produces joy in the Christian life? <coughs> First of all, I think maybe this doesn't need to be said, but I'll go ahead and say it. In order to possess Christian joy, you must be a Christian, <laughs> right? Otherwise, you don't have that. And so, as we unpack this letter, this important letter from the Apostle Paul to the Philippian Church, we're going to learn many things about joy. Uh, We're going to discover its reality. We're going to discover the source of joy. We'll discover its impact in your own life and the lives of those around you. And then, of course, we'll discover its sustainability. Is joy, a perspective of joy, actually sustainable, especially in our world? We're going to discover that. So in today's passage, we're going to see some things that brought Paul joy. And we're going to see things that, that uh, I think we can relate to. I'm excited to, to get to the, the message here. I think what we're going to see is um, things that will help us uh, respond joyfully like the Apostle Paul did. So my goal in today's sermon is to bring you joy. And you need to know that's the goal of every one of my sermons, um, to bring you joy. It comes from different avenues and different ways, um, but ultimately... My goal is to bring you joy. If you have a copy of the Bible, I want to ask you to turn with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, but I'm going to preach about verses 3 through 6. So Philippians chapter 1 and then verses 1 through 6. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ." And so, I want you to notice here how Paul begins this letter, not, not the introduction that we covered last week, but in verse 3, something that's familiar, if, you've, if you're familiar with Paul's letters, he begins by thanking God for their spiritual life. He, he says this often in his letters in the New Testament, I thank God for you, for what I see in you, for what God's doing in you, this is common, but particularly, what is Paul thanking God for here as it relates to the Philippians? I want to share three things that that are outlined in the text I read for you, three things that made Paul thankful, and as a result, joyful. And here's something that I'm going to take a side note on. Maybe it's not a side note, but I'm certainly going to say it. That is, if you can find a way to give thanks for something, it will bring you joy. Paul was thanking them, thanking God, rather, for them, and that brought him joy. So, if you're able to thank God for something, it usually results in joy. If you lack joy for some reason, try to find something in that to thank God for. Can you thank God for your difficult circumstances? Can you thank God for a difficult relationship or about poor health, failing health? I want to quickly here, like I said, by way of a side note, try to help you think about how you can be thankful in difficult times. Uh, This isn't uh, the objective of the sermon, but I couldn't help myself. I want to to help you see through some difficulty because I know there are people here that are experiencing difficult times. How do we manage those as a Christian? How can we actually be joyful in these difficult times? And I'm telling you this Thanksgiving and joy are connected. Everyone wants to be more joyful in their circumstances. So how can you produce that? Now, let's think about a negative circumstance, your job. All right, let's say that's a negative circumstance. I'm not saying it is, but there's certainly people in this room who struggle with their job. Is there anything in your job that might produce Thanksgiving? Is there anything you can be thankful for? in your job Um, how about the reason you took the job income do you get income from your job most of you do Uh, if that's the case that's something to be thankful for right certainly and not just income for yourself but a benefit to those around you many times your job is supplies more than you need and so you can actually bless those around you with what God has given you in your job it's something to be thankful for How about gospel opportunities? You know that we are commanded as Christians to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those around us. Your job is a ready-made mission field. Most of you don't work where I do. Uh, I'm pretty sure that the people I work with know Christ. uh, But I'm also pretty sure that the people you work with may not know Christ. You work in a ready-made mission field. What a... Thing to be thankful for. You don't have to go a long ways to find someone who needs Jesus. They're right where you work. Praise God for that. Thank Him for that. And then, you know, there's there's other things that you can be thankful for in your work, and I'll let you consider those. But let's say you're in a difficult relationship at work, home, wherever, maybe it's your spouse, your child, your neighbor. You're in a difficult relationship, look for something in that difficult relationship to give thanks to God for, and you know what will happen? Joy. For example, what in that relationship can you thank God for? Does that relationship cause you to depend on God more than you normally might? Give thanks to God for that. If you weren't in a difficult relationship, you would think you're a little more self-sufficient than you actually are. So give thanks to God for the difficult relationship you're in because it takes your eyes off yourself and puts them on God. That's something to give thanks for. When you thank God for that, it brings joy. Does that relationship force you into the Scriptures because of your desperation? Do you notice when you're not desperate, you're not nearly in the Scriptures as much? If that relationship causes you to be desperate enough to go to the Scriptures for help, for direction, for guidance... Thank God for that. And when you thank him for that, it brings joy, even to that difficult relationship. And then failing health, this is a difficult one. You know, people have failing health from time to time. Can you be possibly thankful for that? Well, a couple of weeks ago I was hurt and Sherry had to take out the trash for that week. (laughs) Praise God, (laughs) thank you Jesus. All kidding aside, how can failing health cause you to be thankful? Doesn't failing health force you to get your eyes someplace else? There's got to be hope someplace else. It forces you to look Godward. Failing health does. One of the primary reasons we go through it as Christians. Thank God for that. It brings your perspective up and out of your circumstances, Christ, heaven, others come into view because of failing health. And here's another one that's directly related to your your failing health, and that is giving others in this body opportunity to minister to to your needs. You're being an opportunity center when your health is failing. We can now minister to your needs, which is something we're called to do. Thank God for that. It'll bring you joy. So what was Paul here, back to the text, what was Paul here thanking God for concerning the Philippians? Keep in mind his circumstances. He's in jail. You know, he was abandoned by other Christians. His circumstances were bad. And yet he was joyful. What caused that? Well, there's a few things. I'm going to go through them. Three things, actually. But before we get there, I need you to remember that Paul was saturated with the gospel. He thought about the gospel all the time. He preached the gospel. He taught the gospel. He lived the implications of the gospel. He discipled the gospel in others. He was gospel-centered more than anybody. And so everything that was anything to Paul was related to the gospel. And so I've identified these three areas in the verses I read for you, Philippians three. I mean 1, 3 through 6, as gospel things, like the first one, gospel memories. Gospel memories. Look at verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. These were gospel memories. Now, this verse here in verse 3 contains the main verb of this section, which is, I thank. That's two words in English, but it's one word in the original language, Eucharisto. Does that word sound familiar to anybody? Eucharisto. Eucharist yes that's right it's another name for the Lord's Supper the Eucharist it's a word that means thanksgiving and so when we come to the table when we come to the Lord's Supper one of the primary emotions we should experience is Thanksgiving. why because of who Christ is and what he has done it is called this the Lord's Supper is called Thanksgiving the Eucharist, is critical in the Christian life. So what was Paul thankful for? First of all, he said, for my gospel memories. I'm thankful for my gospel memories. And I say gospel memories because I want to separate them from sentimental memories. We all have sentimental memories about past things, right? Gospel memories is a bit different than sentimental memories, which is why I'm calling it Gospel memories. He was remembering the work of Christ in their life. The things that brought about change. Gospel memories. So what kind of gospel memories do you think he had? I've got a few ideas just based on the history of the Philippian church. The first, how about their conversion? The conversion of these three people that we read of in Acts 16 a few weeks ago. Lydia, the slave girl, the jailer all dramatic amazing transformations that brought joy to the apostles heart those were gospel memories the second memory that i would suggest paul remembered about them was the night that he spent in jail with silas where he met the jailer probably one of the deacons or elders at that church in philippi the jailer the one who abused him mistreated him the one who came running in asking for hope and help when he, when he was scared that the prisoners were getting away. The one that came to Christ that night. What wonderful gospel memories were going through his mind. The third gospel memory I'm wondering might have been there is the spiritual growth of the Christians in that church. Remember he was writing a letter to the church in Philippi. And the last time we knew in Acts chapter 16, there was only three members of that church. Not all that great. But now he's writing a letter being helped by a man named Epaphroditus who was sent from the Philippian church to help him. They were a growing church. They were evangelistic. They cared about the gospel. They were faithful people. That brought joy to his heart. Their spiritual growth was evident. These are some of the Gospel memories Paul had, which is why he was thanking God for them. How about Sun Valley Church? Do we have any Gospel memories? For those of you who have only been here a short time, you might have less than the rest of us. But what are some Gospel memories that we might have here at Sun Valley Church? We have ones very similar to the Apostle Paul. How about this? Conversions, people coming to Christ and then growing in their faith to the point of great participation, going out and sharing the, the, the newfound faith with their neighbors and friends and family members. We have those kind of people in this room right now, and it brings joy to the heart. It's a wonderful gospel memory. Do you remember when Sun Valley Church first began, those of you who were here, the sacrifice, the enthusiasm. All that took place to get this thing up and going. Do you remember East Valley High School? Do you remember the work it took to make that happen? Some of you guys were setting up and tearing down church every single Sunday. Get out there early in the morning and set it up and then wait till everybody's gone and then tear it down and take it back to the storage place. Those are great memories. Those are gospel memories. We remember that. You remember if maybe you were just new to the church when we received this building as a gift. Do you remember that? You remember how it happened? It was an amazing thing. A church used to own this building that's no longer here and they gave it to us as a blessing. Motivated by God, they gave us this building. And the building was in disrepair. And so and do you remember the, how the room looked? This room, it looked like a bowling alley. Ceiling's about this high, and the place I'm standing was a different room altogether. Uh, God provided, miraculously, through you, your sacrificial giving, your participation. You were here tearing down walls, repainting, and everything that took to get this to happen. And then God sent the insurance company along and they saw the condition of the roof that used to be here and they wrote us a check for $75,000 so that we could replace the roof. And in the roof there were broken beams, those of you who remember, and we used those broken beams to make a cross that's behind me on the wall to remind us, not just of God's goodness in this building, but remind us of God's great goodness in Christ. Friends, we have Wonderful gospel memories here. People being changed, growing in faith, growing in leadership, growing in love, which brings us joy. Secondly, in verse 5 of Philippians 1, we see gospel partnerships. He says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you. Why? Because, verse 5, of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Their partnership was a big deal to Paul. It brought him joy. Thanksgiving. Let's look at the word partnership. Partnership is translated from the familiar Greek word koinonia. You ever heard that word? Yes, of course. Koinonia is a well-known Greek word that's usually translated fellowship. Many places in the New Testament it's translated Fellowship. The idea of Christian fellowship, though, has been misunderstood in our modern Christianity very often. We, we use the word fellowship to describe what happened at the barbecue last week. We use fellowship to describe the conversation about the Seahawks in the lobby just a few minutes ago. We use fellowship in a lot of different ways, but that's not biblical fellowship. That's not koinonia. Biblical fellowship is different than that. The reason that... That the translators translated that word koinonia, partnership here, is because of what Paul's point is here. They joined Paul in the work of the ministry. They they were in a fellowship with a purpose. This is the reason that it's been translated partnership. Partnership. Paul isn't talking about church potlucks or conversations about the weather. He's talking about the critically important idea of self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision, something you and I did when we began this church 17 years ago. Sacrifice of self for the purpose of a vision, the vision called a local church. Some of you are big fans of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, and one of his books is called Fellowship of the Ring. That word fellowship there, you couldn't couldn't say that Tolkien or the characters in that book, Fellowship of the Ring, thought that fellowship was sometime around a barbecue. No, what was the Fellowship of the Ring? It was nine individuals who were committed to a cause, a cause of destroying that evil ring. They committed themselves to it, they sacrificed to make it happen. They had elves, hobbits, men, dwarves, all committed to that one thing we're going to get rid of the ring. That's the whole book. That's the whole story. Now you don't have to read it. But the heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. That sounds like partnership, which is why it's translated partnership. Christian fellowship is a self-sacrificing conformity to the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Philippians rolled up their sleeves. They got dirty. They got personally involved in the advance of the gospel message around southern Europe, around uh, Asia Minor. They continued to share their faith. They continued to pray for Paul. They sent money in support of Paul and his ministry. They even went themselves to physically participate with Paul on different missionary journeys. They were partners with Paul in the ministry. That was the Philippian partnership. In describing the word partnership here in this verse 5, many commentators use words like this. Energetic, wholehearted, active, consistent. Those are the words used by commentators to describe the condition of the heart of the Philippian believers. They were energetic, wholehearted, active, and consistent in participating with Paul for the cause of Christ. Paul was saying about the Philippians' relationship to them, to him rather, that the work of the gospel was important and you join me. So, Christian friend of Sun Valley Church, do, do these words, wholehearted, energetic, active, and consistent, describe your commitment to the cause of Christ? What words would you use that describe your commitment to the cause of Christ? Would they include any of those words that I've used? You see, Paul was in prison because he was preaching the gospel. The Philippians, Christians could have said, oh man, the guy's in jail, he must have done something wrong. You know, no, they didn't do that. They knew he was there because of the gospel, because he was preaching. It would have been easy for them to back away and just distance themselves from this prisoner, as many Christians did in Rome. They wouldn't associate with Paul because he was in jail. Not the Philippians. They went to Rome to help him personally. They risked their reputation to assist an enemy of the state, this guy named Paul. Here's the point the fellowship of the gospel, the partnership of the gospel, must be put at the center of our relationships with one another in the church. This was the focus, this is the focus. Of verses three through six is the cause of the gospel front and center in your thinking in your relationship to the church in your daily practice is the cause of Christ in view Paul was thanking God that that was the case with the Philippian believers Paul doesn't commend these Philippians for the fine times they shared while watching the games in the arena. He doesn't mention their their literature discussion groups or excellent meals they shared at table. Although undoubtedly they had excellent times together. No, Paul was joyful and thankful because they were partners with him in the ministry. How about Sun Valley Church partnership? Many of you are gospel partners here, and it brings joy and thanksgiving to the rest of us. You participate on Sunday services and Sunday seminars, you attend small groups, you attend prayer meetings, one of which we have this evening at 5.30 in this room. Many of you serve, many of you give in many ways here. You're ushering, you're greeting, crosswalk attendance, children's ministry, teaching, preparing the coffee, and preparing the Lord's Supper, leading small groups, hosting small groups, meeting each other's needs, praying for one another, giving financially, all have been part of an energetic, wholehearted, active, consistent attitude by many of you. And it brings us joy. So what lies at the center of Paul's ties with the Philippians Including meals and discussions and good times at barbecues, is centrally this passion for the gospel, this partnership in the cause of Christ. This is what's making him happy. This is my hope and dream and prayer for Sun Valley Church that we, as good as friends as we are, and we are good friends, we have wonderful friendships in this church. But beyond that, that we will be united by our overarching and ongoing commitment to the cause of Christ in the Yakima Valley. That will be our focus together. Not that we can't enjoy watching a game together or going camping with one another or spending time in each other's homes. Not at all. Those are wonderful gifts from God that we should enjoy but prevailing above all those things should be our mutual commitment to the cause of Christ that God and committed to the thought that God is using us as Sun Valley for something specific in his kingdom here in Yakima so what role christian friend are you playing in that partnership are you on board are you participating with the team are you partners in the ministry Here, we pray regularly that you will be, and many of you are. So we have things that that Paul is thanking God for, things that are bringing him joy, gospel memories, gospel partnership. And in verse 6, we see gospel preservation. Again, focused on the gospel. Like always, the Apostle Paul, gospel preservation. Verse 6 says, and I am sure of this, That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What a great day that will be. Verse 6, we see this idea of gospel presentation, preservation rather. Paul was convinced that the gospel was working. It was effective. The, The Philippians had turned from their sin. They had embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And they had followed him in the work of the ministry. They were witnessing to their neighbors. They were sacrificing of their funds. It says in 2 Corinthians that they gave beyond their ability. That's how committed they were to the cause of Christ. They weren't able to give and so they did something. They sold the pig and gave it. The proceeds, whatever it was, they gave beyond their ability, Paul says. That's how committed they were. And so this proved that the gospel was active in them. Paul believed it Was a sure sign that God had begun the work, and since He began it, He would finish it. Paul knew that the Philippian conversion, the Philippian work of Christ, was in fact that. It was a work of God. Look at verse 3. I thank my God. Why would He do that? Because Paul didn't, God did. So Paul thanks the one who should receive the thanks God. It was a work of God initiated by God. Fulfilled by God. Verse 6, he who began a good work in you. Not me who began a good work in you. He, being Christ, being God. I thank God he began a good work in you. And then to cheat on next week's sermon, look at verse 7. You are partakers with me of grace. And where does grace come from, you scholars? From God, right? It is from God. The work is initiated by the one and only God of heaven. So if God is responsible for spiritual birth, then he's responsible to sustain the spiritual life that follows. Doesn't that make sense to you? If salvation is completely a work of God, then the completion is just as certain as if it were already accomplished. That's how Paul's thinking of this. So God's responsible for the birth, Of spiritual life. And since we've just studied James recently, let me take you to the book of James, chapter 1, verse 18, that affirms this. And by the way, there are literally hundreds of verses that affirm this truth. But let me just read this one Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Whose will? God's will. By God's will, he brought you to salvation. By God's will, he gave you spiritual birth. So God is responsible for spiritual birth, which means he's responsible for the completion of it, the fulfillment of it, which is what we see here in verse 6, one of the most powerful verses that support this doctrine in the New Testament. I want you to look closely at verse 6 with me, if you would. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work will complete it, bring it to completion. That is a compound word in the original language. It's one word made up of two different words, epi and teleo. Fully completed. Not just completed, but fully completed. It's an emphasis on the idea of completion. He could have just said teleo. He said epi teleo. It's fully completed in Christ Jesus. There's no way God won't complete what he started, is the emphasis. So when God saves, he saves completely. He finishes what he starts. This is why Jesus, when he was walking this planet, could actually promise eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal life means eternal. And Jesus promises this. Listen, John 10. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. I give them, there it is, eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Friends, the the New Testament is full of this type of language. Verse 6 in Philippians 1 is one of the most powerful truths in the doctrine of the eternal security of the believer. He who began the work will fully complete it. This doctrine is also called the Perseverance of the Saints. It's an unfortunate title because that title implies that the believer himself has something to do with his secure position. The Perseverance of the Saints. Like, this is your job. Just keep persevering. You know, bear down. Try hard. Never quit. But that is the furthest thing from what's in view. Now, what's in view is not the perseverance of the Saints, but the preservation of the Saints and God's the one who preserves. The God from whom salvation comes is that God who eternally preserves it. We can all relate to the frustration of having a job half done. Uh, The builder didn't return to finish the job. The lawn was half mowed. The house was partially clean. The college course was almost complete. The job's not done. This is never the case with God. If he ever starts it, he finishes it. Every time, without question. In the Philippians case, it was evident that he'd begun something, so Paul knew that he would complete it. It's evident here at Sun Valley Church in this year that God has begun a good work in many, if not most of us, and which means he will complete it. Paul is overflowing with joy because of his gospel memories of the Philippians because of his gospel part- the, the gospel participation with the Philippians and the gospel preservation of the Philippians. Paul is convinced of the authenticity of God's work in them. He believed God started it, sustained it, and will complete it. Friends, are you thankful and full of joy over some of the gospel memories you have? Do you have gospel memories? You do if you know Christ. Have you seen Christ's evident work in your heart? If not, you need to start today creating gospel memories by coming to him in faith, believing what the Bible says about who God is in Christ and what he has done for us. Is your gospel partnership Is your gospel partnership energetic, wholehearted, active, and consistent? I think we can all grow in that, can't we? I think we can be more energetic, more wholehearted, more active, more consistent. Does your gospel partnership in the cause of Christ bring you joy? Do you see the need to be a little more connected to the cause of Christ at Sun Valley Church? To be more energetic, wholehearted, active, and consistent? Finally, can you thank God for how he is preserving the gospel in your life? He's preserving you in your understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. Can you thank him for the obvious thing, that you're here? (laughs) You're here. Which is evidence of the gospel in your life. Doesn't mean you're saved, obviously. But the point is, if you're here, it's evidence of something... Gospel preservation. Friends, if God has started something in you, he will complete it. There's no doubt. We have so much to be thankful for in every situation, every circumstance. Our nearness to Christ is what determines our joy. Pray with me. God, we know we have a lot to be thankful for. We know that that the gospel working in us by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God is the reason for our birth, our spiritual life. It brings us joy to think of that. It also brings us joy knowing that not only have you given us spiritual life, but you've given us purpose. You've given us a cause to get behind. You've given us a reason to continue in faithful service and participation in the gospel in this local church. This brings us joy. And beyond these things, beyond the the presentation of the gospel and reception of the gospel that we have in Christ and and the partnership that we pursue in Christ, we have this wonderful promise from you, God, through the pen of Paul, that what you started, you'll complete. We are so thankful for this. God, we ask you, we submit ourselves to you, we present ourselves before you now, individually and as a body, and ask you to complete your work in us. Continue drawing us to Christ, continue changing our hearts, continue making us more and more like Jesus until that one day when we see you face to face on that great day of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the many blessings at Sun Valley Church, for the many ways we are able to receive joy from watching your hand at work in our midst. Let we give you all the praise and glory. Amen.